0: God, um, i first like to thank God, uh, who's the head of my life. Thank you for um, just allowing me to stand here unworthy, but justified by faith. I would like to thank Pastor Nate for just giving me the opportunity, and I would like to thank each and every one of you for just providing this training ground that I'm in right now, providing the love to my family and to myself, being, my, being uh, our church home. If you would stand with me, Um, the scripture today will be coming from the gospel according to Luke, 7th chapter, 1st through the 10th, first 10 verses, Luke 7, 1 through 10. And after he had finished these sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us, our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had heard had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. You may be seated. Will you bow with me in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we just come thanking you for another preaching opportunity, Lord God, another opportunity to hear your gospel, Lord God, to hear your good news, to hear about your love and kindness, Lord God, and your grace and your mercy, Lord. I ask that you that you strengthen your, your weak servant right now, that you... Um, Allow me to preach the word of God, and that someone may hear, Lord God, and m- m- that may see you. I ask that, that you be glorified today, Lord God, that Jesus be made known, and that I be bold for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. <laughs> Justified by faith. The Bible isn't lack in our scriptures that are are talking about faith. All through the Bible, we, we see God emphasizing on faith from the Old Testament all the way to the New. We see even in Abraham's day in Genesis 15, he says, and he believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. We see in John 3.16 that it is by our faith that we are saved. That whoever, whosoever believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And with faith being so big, we just, I just uh, wonder why he harps so much on faith. He, as much as, as this is about the centurion and his great faith, it's also about an indictment against Israel and her lack of faith. From the beginning of time, he has shown himself to Israel, to his people. He has made himself known by speaking to his people, by never leaving them alone, by guiding them, by being a pillar of fire by night and being a pillar of cloud by day that protects them. He's been their deliverer. He showed in Israel that he he would be the God who delivers them from all their troubles. In Exodus 1430, it says that the Lord saved Israel From the hand of the Egyptians, so that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servants, Moses. So, what makes it so hard for us right now to believe in God? He has shown himself faithful time and time again, and he is begging for our trust and for um, our faith in him. Our faith in God has been turned due to our society, due to our independence, I believe, and and due to the fact that we have too little trust in God and way too much trust in ourselves. In a society that says that you must pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, in a society that praises independence and frowns at at dependence of any kind. The one that says that if you're not successful like you want to be, then you're just too lazy. Or you don't work hard enough. Or the opportunity is there for everyone to make something of themselves. And all you have to do is go and get it. So in a, in a time in, a, in an America where everything is about independence, we find this same mindset going into our faith into the way that we do church, into the way that we have relationship with our Father. I remember a story my mom used to tell me about myself when I was little. I was probably like five or six, and um, we were stationed at Little Rock, Arkansas, and my dad, he was always away at TDY, and he would give me these speeches before he left. He would say, Michael, you're the man of the house now. I want you to take care of your mom and your sisters. So, I felt like every time somebody was doing anything that I had to be involved. <laughs> so my mom, I was, I was too short, too weak, too little. But if my mom was outside mowing the grass, I would run up to her. I got it, mom. I can do it. I can do it. No, Michael Jr., you're too little. I can do it, you know. And um, that's kind of the same way that Israel had. They, they were too little. They were the smallest nation. They weren't great. The only thing that made them great was that God chose them. The only thing that made them great was that they had a God who was great. And so when when I see in the scripture that it says that the centurion soldier loved their nation, there was nothing to love about this nation. They were a conquered people by the Roman Empire. They had been occupied by the Romans and totally defeated. They've been enslaved to them even though there was a loose slavery. They they were being oppressed by heavy taxes. They were being oppressed by the soldiers. They were being oppressed even by their own tax collectors who were Jews working for the Roman government. They were being taken advantage in every way. There was absolutely no victory in Israel's situation at this point in time. But it says that This particular centurion loved their nation in that he did things for them. It said that that he built the synagogue for them, and he respected them, and he knew their customs and their traditions. He didn't simply rule over them, but we see that this centurion was not like other soldiers. Um, He was compassionate. It said that he had a great love and he valued his servant a lot. Even though he ruled over, even the smallest servant was important to him, um, where he would show love and he would use his influence and he would use his connections to find a way to, to try to save his servant's life, um. And we see that this centurion had heard about Jesus. And when he heard about Jesus, he didn't let his position, he didn't let his race, he didn't let anything stop him from going to seek after Jesus. As soon as he heard about Jesus and he was in his situation that was hopeless to him, that his servant was on the point of death, he sent for the elders of the church, whom he did have influence with, to go into to send for Jesus, and when they did get to Jesus, we see how they approached him. When they came to Jesus, in verse four, and when they came to Jesus, they pled with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. So we see that, that even though this centurion wasn't a believer in God, Um, that he had enough influence and he had enough wherewithal to see that there was value in Jesus. So when he heard about Jesus and he heard the great things that he'd done for Jesus and knowing what he knew about the children of Israel, the people that he was occupying at the time, and knowing about their God, he had enough fear for God to say that this person who was acting, the great works that Jesus is doing, this isn't anything that a man can do. He must be sent from God. He, so he saw the value in what Jesus was doing, and he went to go and send for them. And this is what we must do, too. We must see the value in God. We must see the value that um, Jesus has in our hopeless situations. It's funny how God always provides a way to humble us to the point where we cannot do it on our own. We call them tests, we call them storms, we call it illnesses, we call it sickness and disease, we call it death sometimes. We call it, I call him Emmanuel sometimes. (laughs) I call him my children, we call him our children, we call him our spouse. But he always provides a way to humble us to the point where we can't do it on our own. Where we must depend and we must lean on him for what we need. And it is a grace of God. We see all throughout scripture that he's revealing himself in these ways and he has already revealed himself as a deliverer and he revealed himself as a healer and he revealed himself to us as a savior. He revealed himself to us as compassionate. He revealed himself to us as somebody who is capable of love to the point where he would He would come and actually dwell among his people and walk and show us the way. So There are a couple things that we can take away from this centurion that we can learn and to increase our faith. Um, My first point is that those justified by faith in Christ must live by his word. We see in chapter six that Jesus is is teaching a revolutionary word. Um, He's going and he's starting his ministry. And the first thing in chapter 6 that he addresses is the Sabbath day. Because the Sabbath day at this point was so important to the people that it was more important than people's lives. So he goes and he and, and he reconciles that back to himself. He says that um, who he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He did not make the Sabbath to serve, I mean, man to serve the Sabbath, but he he chose the Sabbath to serve man. And he did it in such a way that he... He made it his point to heal on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees and the, and the scribes, they would test him. They would bring an ill person in front of him and just to see if he would heal them on the Sabbath day so they can have something to indict him on. But then he turns it and he reconciles even that to himself. He says, by, my, by me healing and giving them rest from their tribulations, from their trials, from their afflictions, from whatever it is bothering them, that I'm actually giving them rest from that so I am fulfilling the Sabbath day even by this so he goes and he teaches and this whole miracle of the servants the centurion servants being healed is predicated on this teaching so he goes and he teaches the people the beatitudes he teaches them about the Sabbath day he even chooses his disciples which is an unlikely bunch that includes a traitor it includes tax collectors it includes zealots, so we got political differences, we have economic differences, we have fishermen, we have brothers, we have um, just a motley crew of servants that he chooses. He chooses the the very unlikely um, to do it. He goes against, We see Christ going against tradition to show himself to man, um, and we see that even by the way that he chooses his disciples, they're not... They're not worthy to be disciples of Christ, but God called them. Um, we see that he even changes, changes the game completely in, in chapter 6. He's, he tells us that we're not only to love the ones that love us, but we are to love the ones who hate us. We are to love our enemies. And we see literally this centurion fulfilling the words of Christ with his life. He is leveraging his power he is leveraging his authority he is leveraging his position not to serve himself not to build up himself but he is he is serving a servant who is sick on his deathbed that servant can do nothing for him and he is counting this servant's life as as valuable it says that he valued this servant's life and and we have to love like this god is calling us to love like this He says, if I love the ones who love me or the ones who can do something for me, what benefit is that? What did you do? He said, love those who are unlovable. He said, love the ones that are your enemy. He was literally enemies with with Jesus. He was enemies of God. They were the conquerors of God's chosen people. He had made himself an enemy. Just by his position alone, he was enemies of, of Israel. But we see that he respected them. He didn't domineer over them, but he even built the synagogue in which they worshiped at. He did something for people who were conquered, who could do nothing for them, who could increase them at, at all. How many of us can say that we love in that way? How many of us can say that we, not just our family members, but those people who despise you? Jesus is calling us to love them. So those justified by faith in Christ must live by his word, no matter how hard it gets. And it will get hard. But our obedience to God is a byproduct of our trust in God. So we don't don't be obedient to God just so that we can earn our salvation or that we can earn our worth or or we can build up our own resumes in order to say that, hey, I'm worthy. But we obey God because we trust him. Lord, you are right and I am wrong. Lord, you, are, you, you know all. You know more than me, Lord God. You be the Lord of my life. So we see lordship um, as, being a, as being a requirement for great faith. The second thing that we can learn from this centurion is that those justified by faith in Christ seek him in hopeless situations we see that this is a hopeless situation. We have this, this servant and he's, it says that he is ready for death. He is on his deathbed, and I don't care how much money you have. Um, I don't care what kind of influence you have. I don't care if you're white, black. You're, none of us will escape death. They, death has no respecter of person. We all must face it. You can't buy your way out of it. You can't, God is, is the author of life and death. The only one who has control over life and death is him. And by chance, he hears this word. The centurion hears about Jesus, and he sees the the authority that he's acting within. He is healing the sick, and he's raising the dead, and he's bringing uh, blind eyes and being made um, to see. We're seeing that he's making the lame to walk, and he's, he's going about and he's healing and he sees the authority. He recognizes the authority of Jesus. He recognizes the the, the value in Jesus. So those just justified by Christ, we seek him in our hopeless situations. It's some people right now that we're, we're going every other option but trusting in God. In a lot of ways, we act as those who don't have hope. We act like we don't have a God who authored the entire universe by spoken word. We act like we don't have a God who is who has the authority to speak over dead situations. He has said, he has shown it time and time again that he is faithful and just and he is able and willing to act on our behalf. All through the New Testament we see that the faith of people um, unlocking all these healing things he's saying go go and be well for your faith has made you whole for your faith has done this for you for your faith has has um, unlocked your healing so I, I say today that we're hopeless in hopeless situations because of lack of faith and because of lack of faith it shows our lack of trust in him we see that this centurion had a resume he had works that he'd done, he was considered a good man and in that um and a lot of times we're justified by our works in our own minds anyway. we're justified um and you can you can tell how you just approach God when you feel like you you know I did good this week <laughs> so I can go to God in prayer and i can and I can ask him for what I need because i'm worthy man i i I did this, and I did that, and I have, we love to build resumes. It's a part of our entire culture, making ourselves look good on paper, making ourselves look and sound better than we really are, putting our best foot forward. Facebook helps us with that, right? Social media helps us with that. Um, and and he had a resume, and, he, and I don't think he was ignorant in the fact that when he called on the elders of the church to go to Jesus, that, hey, they're going to they tell them how, how loving I was, you know. Because I loved them, they were going to do this thing for me, right? Um, and some, a lot of times we go there just like that, just like this. I feel like the centurion knew. By going to the elders, they were going to bring up his religious resume. And some of us have really good religious resumes. Really good religious resumes. We've been an usher board for 20 years. We've been in the choir. We've been singing faithfully. We've been teaching Sunday school. We've been to Bible study. We don't miss, you know. And we build these things up, and we, we take our works, and we try to justify how we approach God. And we see that that's just not the way. So we're not justified by our works. We are justified through faith in Christ. So now my actions aren't predicated on his works. And that's that's my third point. So those justified by faith do not leverage their works or position. But those who are justified by faith trust in God. They trust in his abilities to do. They trust in his mercy and his kindness and the things that they know to be true about God in order to go and request what what they request from God. So, So we don't come with our religious resumes. I know back home, if I go back home right now to Mississippi, to my home church of Providence Baptist Church, Providence Missionary Baptist Church. I don't think we had a missionary in the last 50 years. But Providence Missionary Baptist Church, I would, I would have a great religious resume. Oh, your grandfather was so good. Like, he, he put the steeple up, and he did that, and you and your family, oh, man, they're just so good. And I would be raised to a position just because of who my family is, just because of what my name is. And a lot of us are, are in our comfort zone in that way. We put our best foot forward. We put our best religious res- resume. We have, we're, we're sounding good before men. But then we're not justified before God because we lack faith, because we lack trust, because we don't know that, hey, we're not worthy enough. We can't work hard enough in order to earn God's blessings. He says in the Beatitudes in chapter six, he says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the unlikely, blessed are the ones who are totally dependent on me blessed are the ones who can't do for themselves blessed are the ones who are fed blessed are the ones who have to depend on God because I can't do it on my own and nobody else can do it for me blessed are those blessed are those who are reviled blessed are the ones who are persecuted daily for my name's sake blessed are the are the, the most unlikely people in God's eyes blessed are the ones who call out on a God who they know can save, our world has us thinking and looking at faith totally wrong. When we think about faith, um it's almost like we think about it in trusting something that's super unlikely. Like, if Pastor was a Detroit fan, which I know he's not. And you have losing season after losing season, and, and, and he's still rocking that same Deion Sanders jersey. And I go up to him, and I'm like, hey, brother, keep the faith. You know, you got this. Yeah, I got this. Like, we're not hoping in something that's highly unlikely, but the world has us thinking that. We're not hoping in something that's low percentage. We are, we are hoping on a God who is able. We are hoping on a God who has proved himself from generation to generation. Even just this morning in Sunday school, it said to write a song about my promises to you. Don't forget what I said because I'm going to fulfill it. As sure as I say it, it will be done. Don't forget my words because my promises stand firm. Heaven and earth are passing away, but not God's word. Whatever he says will come to pass. It will surely be. And he has those promises for those who have faith in him. And we see, we see the fourth thing that we can learn from this centurion is that those justified by faith become sons of God. Right now, he's fulfilling prophecy on a, on a different level right now. He is coming to a Roman centurion. He is hearing the petition from a Roman centurion and he is commending him for his faith. He is justifying him not because of who he is or not just because he is God's chosen people. He is a Jew. He said he's opening it up not only for those who Jews, but for the Gentiles too. He said that those who trust in God become sons of God. Those who believe in him. They shall not perish. He is, he is taking and debasing every hurdle that has ever been a chasm between a filthy sinner and a holy God. He is taking and giving hope to everybody, whosoever, whosoever that would believe that I am who I am. God says, that's who I'm going to save. And, um, I love how John put it when, when the Pharisees and the scribes, who were the chosen ones of God, come to him in the wilderness and they're asking to be baptized. He, he tells them, Who has warned you to repent in turn? Who told you of the wrath to come? He said, and Don't even say that you, Abraham's my father. I'm worthy of this. He says, But those who believe, those who repent and believe in him, and And we are unworthy. We see in this story that the centurion he's hyped up by the elders of the Jews. But he must have been thinking about the goodness of Jesus. And he must have been thinking about the good works that he's performed. He must have been thinking about the stories that he's heard of people being healed and his authority over the the elements and his authority over sickness and disease, he must have been seeing that he's different from this religious system that he's used to. Because he went, and he, in, in, a, in a repentant posture, in a very humble way, this centurion cries to, or sends his friends to cry on his behalf. And he says, and Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And therefore, because I'm not worthy, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my, let my servant be healed. We have to realize that we're not, we're, we, we don't have it all under control. That we're not exempt from sin. That because your grandmother prayed, that might not mean that you're going to heaven Just off of her prayers that we have to have a relationship and we have to have a trust in a God that we know. So he comes to him and it's very different because he is a Roman centurion who sent a conquered people to go on his behalf. Did they have the choice to say no? him. And because he was a benefactor of the church, he was the one who built the church, he had influence. Wouldn't they praise him? But he takes all of that away, and he doesn't use his soldiers to go before Jesus. He doesn't use the conquered people of Israel to go before Jesus, but he sends his friends. And that's a that's a just a different relationship. He goes to them in a different way. He's, he's saying, I'm not using my leverage. I'm not using my position or my my power, but I'm coming to you in my weakness. I'm coming to you in my in my inabilities. I, I don't have any control over this situation, and I'm not worthy for you to do this for me. I'm not even worthy to be before you. I am an unholy person before a holy and just God. So he goes before, he sends his friends to go before God, and he proclaims how unworthy, like he starts unselling himself i'm not worthy because i did this i'm not worthy and I've, i feel that way and god just started beginning to work on my heart even as i prepared the sermon i'm like man y'all don't even know how preaching behind pastor nate is right now it's like <laughs> he, he comes sunday after sunday but it's, it's it doesn't matter my intellect doesn't make it um a relevant ser- uh sermon it's not by my smarts or how well I prepare, but he prepares me for the sermon and offer my faith in his ability for the word of God to go forth. He strengthens us. What is our excuse for not serving him? He promises his people, the ones who have faith in him, that God, he, he's not going to stop the trouble from coming. But he, he does say that he will be with us every step of the way. And as sure as he said it, He will fulfill it. He is with us. Even in our weakness, especially in our weakness, he is with his people. It reminds me of the the young king who was strengthened greatly by God until he grew too strong. In church, I think we're too strong today. I think we're not relying on, I think we're relying just a little bit too much on our resumes today. I think we're relying too much on our degrees I think we're relying a little bit too much on on heritage, on who my mom is, and who my dad is. I think we're relying a little bit too much on what side of the city I'm from. It doesn't matter. At the end, it says that we are justified by, not by good works, because everybody under the law, it will crush you. The law is too much for us. Everyone in here is dealing with sin. Everyone in here is in need of a savior, is in need of a God, is in need of an intercessor. Everyone in here is in need of justification. He takes our wrong and he takes his right and gives it to us. He imputes his righteousness on us when we trust in him. When we say, Lord, I give up. Lord, I can't do it. Lord, This this is too much. Life is too much sometimes. He brings us to this point of humility. He brings us to this point where where he shows his strength by showing us our weakness. So we're unworthy, but trusting in his goodness and his mercy justifies us. And this this comes off the, the, the profession of just how well this centurion understood his unworthiness. This is what he says. Um, For I, too, am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled, because he was saying he was, he was just opposing. He was putting side by side his authority by Rome, because if you defied him, you defied Rome. And he knew, he knew that. He was a conquered people, like the Israelites and all the, all the conquered people of Rome was under his authority. And if you defied him, you defied the entire nation of Rome. So when he said something, he had weight behind his voice. And to defy him is to defy Rome could be seen as an act of war. But he's just opposing Rome to God. He's saying, when I say this, my, my, my little hundred soldiers, they go. They do. They, they, they say exactly, I don't even have to wonder if they they relayed my message properly. But then he's saying, what you're doing, what you're doing is from God. And he's recognizing God as a God who is a, a Lord over the Sabbath. He is Lord over the universe. He spoke the world, world into existence. When he says this, he is recognizing that this is a very big God. This is a God that's bigger than every situation. Every, every trial, every test, every storm, he has the, the authority to step in to, to speak peace in that situation on my behalf. So he's saying that I have authority, but it's nothing compared to yours. It's nothing compared to the one who whose authority you're under. And he marvelled at him. So we just have a, a a a miracle story where everybody's acting out of nature. We got a centurion who's compassionate. We have I ain't never seen in the whole Bible where the Pharisees pleaded for nobody. Like they they've always stirred up trouble. They, like even them they're acting out of character even to to try to intercede for this centurion. And then we see Jesus even at that. This is the only time in the Bible that you will see that Jesus marveled in a way that he did. The only other time is he marveled at our unbelief. But he's marveling at a a Gentile's belief and trust in his abilities. And that's where we have to be today, church. We have to be totally dependent on him. We have to be, we have to trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, that he is, and sometimes we do. We're we're good when it comes to our soul. I'm securing my my faith for my salvation, right? I trust him that he has saved my soul wholly. He has totally saved me. But then over our physical bodies, that's where the test comes. We don't trust him as, as much when he says, What should i do in this situation well you should love that brother at work that's giving you all hell at the workplace you should love that brother or sister who is reviling you and speaking all kind of we reject his lordship but want his salvation and a lot of times that's where we stand and and he speaks about this he said why do you call me lord lord in 6 and 46 he said why do you call me lord lord and not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who builds a house on the, on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. And that's what we're like today when we, when we take his salvation without his lordship. We can't have true faith without repentance. We can't, we can't have trust in God, but I'm going to do my own thing. We can't have, we can't say, Lord, Lord. He, he, he preaches about that. Many of us would say, Lord, Lord, but at the end times, I'm going to say, depart from me, For I, I never knew you. You never, you never lived that blessed life that you could have. You've never lived under my lordship. You've never lived under my true protection and of the promises of a son. He said, him who is a son, he disciplines. You know, he, he instructs. He tells what to do, and that son listens. And we see this great faith because, one, because he's an outsider. How is an outsider going to trust our God more than the one that he has done so much for? I, th- I think we take for granted a lot what, the, what God has done. He's been so great that we're numb to it a lot of times. But I pray today that we're sensitive to the moves of God, to the blessings of God, and for what, exactly what God is doing in our life. It's not, it's not a light thing that we, we sit here today in, in the house of God, in the place where the word of God goes through, and we are free from persecution. Nobody in here fears their life right now. Nobody in here is persecuted in their body. Nobody has bled for the gospel in the way that they some had to. Like, and I pray that we don't take that for granted because he is good. He is Lord. He is sustaining us. It's not by our goodness. It's not by our works. But it's him. And we get, I get so wrapped up in just how great his faith is and the indictment on myself to have more faith, to depend more on him. It's hard because especially as men, my men in here, we know that we're responsible for a lot. We we wanna we wanna get it done, right? We have to get it done in a lot. We gotta take a lot on our shoulders. We have to we have to power through a lot. But he's he's saying, Let me be your strength. And women, y'all are strong. You guys are strong. You guys take care of the house. You guys, a lot of you work in the corporate, in corporate America. A lot of you are teachers. And, and professionals, and a lot of times it's overwhelming, and you just keep going, and you keep going, and you say, I'm going to try harder, and I'm going to do more, and I'm going to wake up earlier, and I'm going to go to sleep later, and I'm going I'm to push through this. But he's saying, trust me. He's saying, lean on me. Cry out for me. And we see this centurion, an outsider. I wonder how God feels about this outsider showing more trust in the God who has delivered them from Egypt, who has shown Abraham, who um, who has brought them through the prophets, the kings, up to this point of, of hope in him. And you have an outsider showing more trust than we are. We we ought not let that be. He has enough of a resume in your life for us to trust him. There's, we don't lack evidence of his goodness in our life. We don't lack evidence of his provision in our life. It's not, it's not Ford. It's not UPS. It's not Kindred. It's not Humana that provides our every needs. It's not that 401K that you paid into all this time. But it's, it's God who sustains everything. And I get so caught up in the centurion that I forget all about. This is a miracle about his servant. Like, I forgot all about the servant. <laughs> but he had compassion on the servant. This centurion had compassion on his servant. Looking at the centurion's faith does make us forget about the healed servant. It's salvation for that servant in the most unlikely way. And it, and it almost makes you think about what they said of Jesus. Will anything good come of Galilee? In the most unlikely way, one day on Calvary, he does save us. He's, and we're, we're much like him. We're highly valued by our master. When he's our master, he looks after us. He intercedes for us. He goes to difference. And the difference. And the similarities between the centurion and Jesus is that he laid down his position. He came from glory in order to intercede on our behalf. The, the master leveraged his position and authority to save someone who could do absolutely nothing for him. That's us. We could do nothing. Like, a lot of times we think, we pray the prayer, God, help me do. Nah. Like, we could do nothing. John 15 says, I am divine. the vine. You are the branches. The one who abides in me and I am you, that you bear much fruit that way. Without him, you're dead. You're firewood. You're you're nothing. We're nothing without him. So us being able to do nothing for the vine, he still blesses us. Being made, we were be we were made whole just by the words of of God. Just by him speaking a word into our life. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we know that salvation, our salvation is wrapped up in our faith in him. And it's because of him revealing himself to us that we are saved. It was because of him speaking the plan before even, the, even time began. He knew that we was going to mess up. And he consecrated Christ for the cross. He consecrated Christ for our sins. He consecrated him and set him aside to be grace, the grace that saves us by our faith. Romans 5 and 6, it says, it says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For the one For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps a good person, one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet filthy, while we were yet committed, while we were yet enemies of God, he died for us. And since therefore we have now been justified by his blood not by our works, but by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of of his son, much more now that, that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life, that he makes intercessor, that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he He doesn't need a successor to come after him because his life is short. But he will live forever, making intercessory for the ones that are are still sinners, us. The ones who yet need interceding for. and, And thus we are justified by his acts on the cross. Would you bow with me? Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace. And I thank you for your mercy, Lord God. You alone are worthy. You alone are holy, Lord God. You alone justify us, Lord. We ask, Lord God, that um, the words that were spoken here today glorify you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.